0: Okay, I have grabbed myself. Grab? Oh, geez, that sounded like a really bad start. I have dragged myself out of the <laughs> out of the pool. It's it's very summer in Australia at the moment. It's very summer where we are. I can tell you how summer it is because I have the weather station from our roof. So, what did we get up to? What are we at? Where's Home Assistant? Uh, it is looking sensational out there today. We are currently uh, 27.8 Celsius. It's very humid this morning. It was over 90% humidity earlier this morning. So this is what it's like in our little subtropical paradise here. And g'day everyone for joining in from Portugal. Log4J mayhem. I have not been across Log4J, I've got to be honest. I'm not going to be able to tell you anything at all insightful about that other than I've seen a lot of mentions of it. I'm instead going to talk about other things. And I'm going to start with this week's sponsor, actually, as I normally try and do. And in fact, this is a sponsor that I had once many years ago. They're back. You're going to see them around for quite some time now. It's Collide. And this is Collide with a K, K K-O-L-I-D-E. Got Slack, got Max, get Collide. Device security that fixes challenging problems by messaging your users on Slack. Try Collide today. It's amazing how popular Slack is as well. So Collide is user-first security endpoint solutions for teams that value productivity, transparency, and employee happiness. These are all wonderful things. <laughs> it's nice. Go and get Collide and you'll get employee happiness as well as transparency and productivity. Uh, obviously about meeting compliance goals, keeping people happy, and, of course, if it integrates into Slack, people seem to be very happy in Slack these days, which is wonderful. So please check them out. There is a link on the blog. Uh, and, again, that the fact that I, I get to, like, just be in the pool and get out and then get my nice coffee and come and sit here and not go anywhere and do all this stuff is thanks to sponsors like collide so good on those folks for being there this week all right who else is here andrew Masterback. back oh where i don't know where you are but okay uh neil hi from sydney maybe it was sydney i think that we are going to be we are just actually discussing this morning today is our first day in our great state of queensland for those of you from other parts of the world think like texas but big i know that really rubs people up the wrong way twice the size of texas (laughs) our state but only 5.3 million people and we've basically been for all intents and purposes rounding error aside covid free Uh, but we opened up the borders to the southern states where places like neil are from uh oh andrew says queensland is that just a new announcement andrew literally saying this morning i bet you any moment now it's going to be masks back I'm gonna get an airplane soon too. It's definitely gonna be masks. Anywho, uh, today is the first day that you must be double vaccinated to go to a restaurant or a cafe or places like that. Uh, so we went to a cafe this morning, one we normally go to, and we we have like our phones with our COVID check-in app and our vax records, and we're talking to the lady that runs the place about uh, about people that she's had to sort of say, "Look, you know, sorry, you're not double vaxxed. You, you can take your coffee away, but you can't stay here." And it's, I just think it's going to be really, really rough time for people actually running these industries that are going to have to deal with, (laughs) I was going to say dickheads. And then I thought, oh, but that makes it sound like people who aren't getting vaxxed are dickheads. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually reasonable. But people then behaving like dickheads because they're not vaxxed for whatever reason. And then they don't want to not go because, I don't know, reasons. Uh, Andrew says half an hour ago. All right. It's probably while I was in the pool enjoying myself mask free. In fairness, I have said many times, well, it's. It's really only in fairness to me. But if uh, if we got to be somewhere locked down, it's a good spot. It's a good spot here. A lot of Australia is a good spot, actually. Uh, I was talking to my good mate Lars Clint, who many of you know, the other day. And he's he's on a farm sort of in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, it doesn't bother us. You know, it's like mask mandates, quarantine, whatever. It's just like we sit on our farm. And so long as we've got enough food, it really doesn't change anything in our life. And for the most part, it's uh, it's pretty similar here. Although I do have to go Christmas shopping this afternoon, So, Andrew, I'm going to have to go and check those that details. Those details. Ah, okay. All right. Hey, Stefan's here. Welcome back, Stefan. So, so we're going to be hearing more with the things Stefan and I have done in this update. But you should go to bed because you got work to do <laughs> in the next few days. We'll talk about that later. Uh, anyway. Uh, Andrew says, any home assistance stuff going on with the pool? Mm. Just, just. And, and the reason just is I've got two in-pool lights, they're RGB lights, they're not Wi-Fi lights, they change colour by literally power cycling them, and each time you power cycle, them, they go a different colour. There's a Shelly on that. So, kind of, what I would like to have on the pool is I would like to have uh, temp sensors. Now, I say that in plural because I would like to know the temperature in the pool, and then I would like to know the temperature coming off the roof, because we've got one of those uh, solar heating jobs where it takes water from the pool pumps it up in the roof there's all these black hoses on the roof it absorbs the heat pumps it back down through our fountain i've posted a photo before we got these like chairs <laughs> sitting in the in the fountain where you can just sit there and like drink beer in the summer and pumps that back in and that's really super warm because often it's like 50 plus degrees up on the roof so i need to find a good solution to that i did get one of the little shelly uh i forget what it's called um little tiny one you can put probes on so i've got one of those i've got to get some probes and then draw some holes or something and make that work but i would like to do some shelly pool stuff as well or some iot pool stuff on to other things i mentioned getting on a plane so next week i will be somewhere else charlotte and i going away for christmas to somewhere absolutely freaking amazing i'm not going to say what it is (laughs) until i'm there because i'm just going to like hey look at this and you'll be like oh shit that's he wasn't joking. That's really amazing. So I'm literally getting together all my remote stuff. Uh, I think it's going to be a combination of iPhone and either those little Rode Wireless Go with a lapel mic, or I do have that shotgun mic working now for uh, from Rode now that I've got the correct sample rate set. So I'm going to take that away. That'll be an epic one Friday next week. And... Then I'll be a combination of back and away. <laughs> we'll say that. And then over time, you'll, you'll see where it is. But uh, the only thing I can say for sure is that it won't be overseas because none of us can go overseas really anywhere at the moment, uh, not with any ease. But fortunately, we're in a good spot here. Andrew says, I've been trying to make this exact thing myself. I already have the pool pump automated. Now, see, the, the, so the thing for me as well is I have a unit, and I think it's called Dantek. Uh, so the the solar unit does have temp probes and it reads the input temp that's coming out of the pool and it reads the output temp that's coming off the roof and it, it does that because it needs to decide when to turn on the pump so if there's enough temperature variance between the pool and the roof it turns it on uh, if there's not then it's like there's no point pumping cold water into the pool so i already have probes in there and in my perfect world i'd just Plug into this other unit, or in the perfect world, the other unit would actually be IoT. That would solve my problem, but it's not. Moving on, I got a lot of random stuff in here, and then I'm going to talk more about some of the the data breach, cyber things. Uh, I have been posting a lot of stuff about 3D printing, and as many of you know, I have been getting carried away. Now on my desk, I tweeted this one the other day, and it's it's part printed. This is a dumpster with 2021. On the front of it. And this is the fire <laughs> that will go on the dumpster. I actually stopped this one part way through because I decided that I wanted to use the many, many hours while I'm asleep to print something else. But this will eventually be a dumpster fire Christmas ornament for 2021, which is the for many of us in different ways. <laughs> 2021 was a bit of a dumpster fire. Uh, so this is cool. We're printing that. I have started printing uh, lithophanes, which are super, super cool. Now, just to give you an example, if I hold on up to the camera here, it's going to look pretty overexposed and white. And if I tilt it just the right way, you can kind of make out a picture. Now, I haven't tried this yet, but what I should be able to do is shine a light behind this. And if I get the... That doesn't look great on camera, does it? I have tweeted this. Uh, so this is actually a photo of Ari. And when you put it up, let's say, on a window with the sun coming through, or if you put it on like a little lamp with a backlight behind it, maybe if I move the light further away, then it actually becomes a kind of cool picture. Uh, you can just get a sense of it. Anyway, now one of the things I've learned about lithophanes, apparently you would think that you should print them flat like this. Apparently meant to print them standing up with like a brim to keep them upright. So I'll be... Doing up a bunch of these and then printing like a little lamp. I've got cables and light globes and all sorts of things uh, literally in that little baggie over my shoulder just there to then create a lamp. And I might even give it to mum and dad for Christmas. Hopefully they're not listening to this. So that's been fun. Other things. What else have I been printing here? Uh, last week I spoke about the moon. So the, the moon, which I put an IoT light bulb in, which of course integrates into Home Assistant. And it looks epic in fact it looks so epic we we are printing them for other people so there'll be some christmas presents in there as well so i'm using a bunch of different white filaments just seeing which one works best a few different black filaments for the stand moons will be out there too so i'm pretty happy about that hey over in the comments here uh brenner says why shotgun mic? make me think it's meant to be mounted on the barrel of a literal shotgun before i did this live stream today. I thought, I'm doing this in American time zone today. I won't make any gun jokes. And then Brendan came along. Thanks, Brendan. Ali, well, I'm very fine with vaccines, mass and quarantine measures. I'm worried about digital vaccination certificates and tracking apps as a privacy matter. I hope such apps do not get pwned. Well, I've got a good place to put them if they do. Uh, that's the first thing. If, if we're very pragmatic, and I think one of the challenges that we have probably as technologists... Uh, and also as security professionals, is we do tend to get very absolute about views where I'll hear people very worried uh, about Ali's point. And, and And it is a very fair point too. And what we've got to do is go, you know, look, there's, there is this risk here. And, and if that risk manifests itself, there is an impact. There is also this other side of things, which is the benefit. And I guess the thing with the whole COVID situation is that, the benefits for uh, being able to reduce the risk of infection and then be able to notify people if they've had a possible exposure, that the benefits of that are obviously uh, enormous to, to the point where they could be life-saving. So when we put them on that scale, as much as it, it sort of concerns me about some of the privacy ramifications, in the context of things, you, you sort of go, OK, well, thats I can see that trade-off as being reasonable. Now, having said that too, like we're nearly two years into this, and if you think back to the very early days, uh, things like some of the the COVID tracing apps that were really rapidly rushed out, including by our own government, which really weren't very well thought out and they were very reactionary because they had to be. We didn't have notice about this thing. That was concerning, but now we're a long way down this road uh, and we've had plenty of time and everyone in the world is dealing with the same problem and, of course, the the OS manufacturers like Google and Apple have been building support into their platforms to be able to integrate with things like tracing apps as well. So I I think that where we're at at the moment is certainly a a much better place in in terms of privacy. And on balance, it's the right thing for us to do at the moment. It will be interesting to see what the long term brings, like how long will we be using these tracing apps for and leaving these digital footprints. And I know for me, in fact, I haven't looked at this for a while, but if I go and check my... COVID tracing app why when I look for COVID I literally can't find the app I have to go back to recently opened apps and I open a lot of crap Uh, check in that's what I should have looked for check in where's my history it's like cafe bunnings seafood food food barbecue wow okay yeah interesting oh, you can check back into the same place by going back and clicking on it. The uh, the, the other thing, and in fact, for, for all of you out there, particularly those of you who might happen to be in my state here at Queensland, if you have, such as in my case, uh, elderly parents who are a bit less tech savvy, do help them get their vaccine certificate attached to their check-in app because theoretically, as of today, as I mentioned before, everyone here in, in our state should be, showing their app and showing that they are, are double vax as well. And going through this process w- was not fun. Charlotte and I went and helped my parents the other day and I sort of went, oh, look, you're, you're sitting closest to dad, you help him, I'm sitting closest to mum, I'll help her. Uh, Charlotte drew the short straw <laughs> on that because you need to have the Medicare app first and you've got to have the Medicare app set up and you've got to sign in with my Gov and then you've got to have your COVID certificate in the Medicare app, which it should be anyway when you go and get your jab because they attach it to your medicare id and then you've got to import that certificate into the check-in app and you can get it out of the check-in app and into your apple wallet as well and just explaining that sounds confusing so what's it like for people who are not tech savvy so i'm uh, i'm increasingly of the view and I, I made this point i think last week when i was like hey go and help people set up one password and, and get them using a password manager don't just give it to them help them use it but just increasingly of the view that we need to help people through that process and not just give them the tooling Ali, governments could provide printed vaccination certificates. (laughs) Now, is this to stop fraud? (laughs) Like, it's a little bit like we should get people to sign a document, you know, like physically, and then we know it's them. So, uh, Well, then we we do have this whole problem around fraud. And we know, and I'm sure it's the same in other parts of the world as well, but we know that there's been a lot of fraud around people fabricating anything from medical exemptions to, to not need the certificate to the certificate themselves. And of course, that, doesn't mean that if it wasn't paper and it was digital you couldn't just create like a png of your vax certificate and show people that but at least when it's on the device it's like show me you opening the app and scanning and then it comes up so there's it's it's a higher it's a higher barrier to entry for fraud i suggest richard's here g'day richard uh where else are we uh, moons. Andrew th- Andrew's asking, is the moon on Thingiverse? The moon is on the Prusa website. If you go back through my recent media on my Twitter timeline, you'll find it, and I do link to it as well. Otherwise, go to the Prusa website and search for moon lamp. I think it's one of those popular things there. Uh, Andrew thinks I'm reading his check-in history. Uh, possibly. <laughs> Maybe it all gets mixed up. Um, Strata says he has his vaccine hard copy so easy to show people. And, of course, for many people out there... Well, when we say many, in raw numbers, it's many. In raw percentage, I imagine it's very, very small. But there are still people out there who simply don't have smart devices, uh, and, and they would need to carry the physical copy. So there's always that. It would look a little bit suspicious if it was like a young person turning up going, I don't have a smartphone. I don't know how to use it. Like, here's my paper VAX." But the other thing is, so here's another way of it. This doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be close to perfect. Where it is, is still enough incentive to drive a lot of people sitting on the fence to go and get double vaxxed in the first place and it's also strong enough it provides a strong enough incentive for organizations and the likes of bars and restaurants and so on to be able to be empowered to then push people to go and get that double vax. i'm sure there's a lot of people that have gone and and done what is unquestionably in everybody's best interest simply because they know they have to show, turn up and show the certificate. And yeah, there'll still be 5 10 15%, I don't know, however many, who fake it or who lie about it or who get it a, a, a fabricated exemption certificate or something like that. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect to make a really, really big difference. Lisa has helped a couple of people with their VAC certs. It is very complicated for a lot of people. Yeah, it's very complicated for me, mate. I'll tell you what, like I was sitting there going, how the hell do I make this? I, I was actually checking into a Bunnings. For those of you from overseas, it's like a massive hardware store and I checked in and I think I saw like a little, you know, Apple News thing pop up say, you know, you should attach your vaccine certificate to your check in app. And I'm like, that's fine. Whilst I'm like walking down the aisle, I'll just do that, because it will just be like one or two clicks. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like literally carve out a quarter of an hour of your day and sit down and figure out how to tie the whole thing together. So help help another another fellow citizen. Ponemus. Now Ponemus, I have still been running so we've still been uh, giving away a whole bunch of stickers a whole bunch of 3d printed logos i printed a lot more have i been pwned logos recently they're better than the previous ones because i've got a filament that looks epic it's in fact it's the filament used in the dumpster here it's a uh, it's a real kind of royal royal blue uh and it's got a very nice shine to it so <laughs> the logos have gotten nicer i've got heaps of stickers because i bought a whole lot back in 2019, when I was traveling, thinking that I'd give them to people all over the world. I've also been giving away all my books. So if we have a look at what's left here, there's literally The Age of Context and Platform. They're the only two books left on my shelf. I did not realize how much it cost to send books around the world. And as as the bill from the post office came, which is so far well over $1,000, I realized that I probably should have just bought people books on Amazon that were brand new and it would be cheaper. But we do get to not only feel good about actually recycling some things, but clean up my shelf, which is important. Because that shelf is going to go <laughs> in the not-too-distant future. Something else on my shelf, speaking of shelf, and I wonder if anyone picked this up. There's something else sitting here now. And I have spoken about this before. In fact, I spoke about ubiquity before. <laughs> this is Amplify. Now, for those of you listening to this later on, this is a very solid box of uh, Amplify Wi-Fi equipment. Not just Wi-Fi equipment, but Wi-Fi 6 equipment. So this is Ubiquiti's in... Well, I guess all the Ubiquiti I have is in-home, <laughs> the way I use it. But it's Ubiquiti's more consumer line rather than prosumer line. And this looks... Totally, totally cool. And I'm gonna uh, I'm just gonna put a link here in the in the chat. This is the it's not just amplify, it's amplify alien. Now for some reason every time I go and look up anything to do with ubiquity stuff, I always end up on like stores selling it as opposed to ending up on the website. So I almost feel like ubiquity needs to be paying for product placement. What if we just search for ubiquity amplify? on search engines, just so that I can get to... I just want to get to your stuff, Ubiquity. (laughs) Why do I get to everyone selling it? How far down have we got to scroll? It'll be here somewhere. Someone's going to literally find it and post it to this thread before I do. No, really, that would actually really help me right now. Why isn't it there? What if I go to Unify? No, Ubiquity. Ubiquity Ubiquity.com. Anyway, while I'm trying to find this, when you eventually see it, you'll... what the hell is Ubiquity.com? Automotive supply chain? If only we had EV certificates and then I'd know I was in the... Don't get EV stickers. UBNT.com or UI.com. I don't have UI.com. Yes, UBNT.com, redirects UI.com. Okay, glad we had that discussion. And now I'm going to have all the Unify stuff, but not the Amplify stuff. What if I search on the page... <laughs> nope. The new Windows 11 sound... You know, I'm just going to link to one of the things we're actually selling here. And then at least you can see what it looks like. That's an ad. Will I get through it? Here we go. Ooh, that does look nice. I actually feel kind of jealous that I'm going to give this to someone else. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open the image in a new tab, and I'm going to link straight through to the image, because the image... And then you've got to blow this up to full screen. All right, we got there. Here we go. Uh, Bam. Right. Ubiquity. (laughs) So ubiquity alien let's just look at the image if you haven't scrolled through this you'll see what it looks like it's like a black tube uh and based on the size of the box and the one that i previously set up it's uh probably about 200 mil high and then it's got like a glowing green light on the bottom this is obviously what makes it alien because it's green everyone knows that the only green things are aliens and hackers and then it's got this really really cool vertical display in fact i think it has the res of this display on here somewhere 274 by 1268 pixels at 279 pixels per inch uh full color screen and it's super cool because you've got a whole bunch of stats on the screen so you can see all of your your sort of network traffic take any uh, firmware updates and things like that now ubiquity sent me a pack of this Oh, geez, it must be early last year. And I went through and set up for a neighbor, shared a bunch of that uh, online. They just had shitty Wi-Fi. Doing the same thing now with uh, with a, a good friend over here across the canal, which which incidentally, I've now got so much Wi-Fi in my place, I can go over to their place a couple of hundred meters away and still get Wi-Fi from home. But this is going to help him inside his home. So it's the unit you see there, and then they can mesh network with uh, an additional satellite unit so this particular box actually has the the two in it which is great so we'll be able to go and set that up and it's wi-fi six as well which is the fastest wi-fi we can get for ourselves today with certainly with consumer devices uh four ethernet ports on the back which is great or four LAN ports There's an uplink ethernet port as well Uh touch screen as well which is pretty cool got a really cool companion app it's just it just looks awesome. It looks really, really awesome. So I'm gonna set I don't know, I'll set that up today or something like that, and I will share some photos on the social with that. Let me have a look at what the other comments are here. As we grab some more coffee here. James says we only go to Bunnings for sausages. So again, for those of you from other parts of the world, the uh, the, the thing that Bunnings is really well known for, other than just being like a massive hardware store selling everything, is the Bunnings sausage sizzle. And every time you turn up at Bunnings and you smell it and you're like, oh, I really want a sausage now uh so yeah now i really want to go back to bunnings again i was there yesterday actually because in that bag are more iot light globes i get those Arlec ones uh from bunnings are about 28 bucks each put them inside the moon lamp and then this is some of the presents we're giving people now the people just lamenting the difficulty of getting that COVID app set up Brennan says the amount of effort the governments make you go to just to attach the damn certificate is honestly silly. It 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 is, it is. And I, I have a feeling that when every time I use my gov here in Australia, it feels like there's a lot of sticky tape between brownfield monolithic apps and you're trying to tie everything together into this one unified experience and I guess this is why governments often are right like this the, the obviously the, the health system runs very independently to the taxation system uh, and you end up with stuff spread out all over the place but yeah it's that that's a bigger problem than what we can solve here today <laughs> uh, alright so that was Amplify oh here's the other thing before I get into some more substantial stuff don't know if anyone spotted it, but in the still image I posted, I do have a new chair. Uh, in fact, what's even better than this? I've got two new chairs. There's one over here as well. So these are replacements for my very much loved, very much used Herman Miller air on that I bought definitely over a decade ago. Because when I wrote about ultimate home office, in fact, if you search for my name, Troy Hunt ultimate home office. Uh, I originally wrote this blog post, wow, December 2009, Uh, and I talked about the chair there. Now, that was was pretty significant because first of all, that was a dozen years ago, 12 years ago. And fun backstory to this, in fact, this is not one of the blog posts in my, my book, but there is actually a backstory to the reason I wrote this. The reason I wrote it, and this was only about two months after I'd started writing blog posts. The reason I wrote it is I had actually written this on an internal blog, which I was trying to set up inside Pfizer and get people to write stuff for. Uh, and a lot of the basis of writing this was to demonstrate to the pointy head managers of the time that I had a really cool setup at home and I could be at home being productive, <laughs> probably a lot more productive than in the office. So that was where that came from. Then I was just like, oh, I've already got it now. might as well just post it into my, uh, in my public blog. But if, if you read back through this, the language was very, very much about how do I speak to internal people within the organisation. Um, anywho, so the original Aeron I bought, which of course was like the chair of the dot-com era, uh, and it was super, super comfy, and it lasted really, really well. And then more recently I've had... My, stuff that will be fixed i'm going to refurb it but it was everything from the gas strut going so it would get super squishy and then it would just sink all the way down i couldn't raise it back up through to some of the cushions decaying uh through to some of the the mesh fabric which particularly in this really hot climate here is is great because just breeze uh that was starting to come apart in spots so it was effectively wearing out but when you think about i mean obviously especially the last almost two years this is where i do just about everything and then for the, you know, five or six years before that, most of what I did in terms of creating or writing stuff would be here and then there was the travel. So I got a very, very good uh, good workout. And then the reason I got two is because Charlotte often sits here and we work together on things because I have like the wall of screens will sit here and she'd be dragging that chair there over, which which is heavy and low set and frankly not very comfortable. So we want to get two chairs. The one over there is a little bit smaller, fits her frame. This is the big one. And then as this desk gets rebuilt, so I am going to have a new desk in here sometime next year. It's got a big opening in the front, so we can effectively sit with probably a two-meter wide opening with both our chairs here, both in front of the screens, uh, and then that chair will go, and there'll be something else there as well. So anyway, this is all just part of making my space here more productive because I'm here (laughs) for the very, very long term okay let's have a look at what the other comments are here um government 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 all right move on actually last thing before i go on two more substantial things i finally got windows 11 installed on my desktop so i tried to put it on my laptop several months ago i kept getting uh, a very unfriendly hexadecimal error every time i tried to do that eventually a couple of weeks ago i took a cumulative update for 10 and 11 then like automatically worked i'd been waiting until i got a a few things that were just demanding my attention out of the way before upgrading my desktop just in case i had problems no problems worked absolutely beautifully first go no problems very very smooth which means that my desktop was smooth shart's laptop was smooth ari's laptop was smooth l's laptop was smooth my laptop was the only issue i had so now i am adjusting to having my menu items and my my icons in the middle of my taskbar as I look across at all my screens with it. So I think I've got to do a little bit of tweaking here to get it uh, get it to work just the way I want. But I've actually got to sit down and literally go through the what's new in Windows 11 so I can actually get up to speed and use some of the cool new stuff. Okay, let me talk about two, uh, two cyber things to round out today. One's pwned passwords and the other one's going to be the blog post I wrote yesterday about scraping. So Pwned Passwords, uh, and if if uh, Stefan's still here, he'll uh, he'll probably agree with everything I say. So, so Stefan, of course, has been working a lot on helping us coordinate the community efforts for the open source piece of Pwned Passwords, which is building the ingestion pipeline that the FBI uh, and others will be using. We have been working on this very hard for quite a while now. And it's not just building the mechanics for the ingestion pipeline, It's also upgrading all of the technology stack to all the latest and greatest stuff, using all the bits and pieces of Azure that make the most sense for this as well, coordinating the Cloudflare bits, and then where at the moment is just getting the rollover right. So our goal, big announcement here, our goal is for Monday coming, so about three days from now by my clock, is to get this live. And there's going to be a couple of new things. So there is going to be the ingestion pipeline where we'll start getting real live passwords fed from the fbi which still sounds so so super cool there is also going to be a lot of new passwords and i'm going to talk in the blog post on monday about where they came from but with the help of another law enforcement agency we have now got a substantial very very substantial increase of new passwords uh they are all going to be going live over the weekend with a blog post announcing it all on monday so that is super exciting uh Literally, my job today, so long as I don't get distracted by other things again, (laughs) Stefan, who knows what I mean, my job today is to make some really big headway with with that. In fact, a lot of the work has already been done, but it's just making sure we have a clean rollover because we're at 1.2 billion something requests a month to this service at the moment. And the last thing I want to do is lose anybody's requests as we roll over. Uh, So this is why I'm going to try and roll it over uh, on the weekend with with Stefan's support. And then announce it all on Monday. And hopefully when people look at the announcement, it would have already been live for 24 hours or something like that and, and pretty stable. Which will then give me enough time, if anything is not right on Monday, to fix it before I go away. Uh, and, and when I go away, I really don't want to be mucking around with passwords. <laughs> it's, again, it's I'm going to be somewhere really nice. I just do not want it. Well, it's not that I want to be thinking about passwords because, interesting, I don't want to have to have work to do. So, anyway, here we go. We'll see this over the next few days. Last thing, scraping. Is scraping breaching? Is a scraper breach? Does it matter? So I guess I wrote this with Gravitar being the catalyst, and I wrote most of this last week when I'd loaded this uh, scraped gravitar data into Have I Been Pwned? And... You know, this is an incident that had happened more than a year in advance, and Gravatar had uh, acknowledged it at the time. It was in the press at the time. This was not news to anybody, almost. What was news is that a lot of people didn't actually know that they had a Gravatar account. And even if they didn't have an account in the traditional sense, uh, a username and a password and you log on, you manage stuff, a lot of people have their email address on Gravatar. But it's not really their email address. It's a hash of their email address. But the, the, the problem is, is that when we have a hash, an unsalted hash, and, and just the very mechanics of the way the Gravitar service works, it had to be an unsalted hash, then they can be easily cracked. So what ended up happening with Gravito, and I spoke about this last week, is there are, I think off the top of my head, about 160 million-something hashes that were scraped off their service And then about 114 million of them were cracked, including my own email address. And this data was obviously obtained from Gravatar in a way they had not intended it to be made available. Now, they actually had an enumeration vector where they had, I guess what boiled down to insecure direct object references, it's like there is a number in a URL, if you plus one you get something else. The oldest trick in the book, right? So someone managed to do this 160 million-something times, grab this data, and then circulate it, including on hacking forums. So this data's all out there. I put in Have I Been Pwned, and I, it was sort of interesting to see the reactions where a lot of people were like, and the vast majority of people like, you know, thank you. This is really useful. I wanted to know about this. Uh, I don't know how they had my data. Uh, I tried to log on, but they don't have an account. And then there was this fraction of people who were like, this is irrelevant information. I don't want to know about it. And I'm like, you know, you've got a delete button. You know? <laughs> like in your email client, it's like, just delete it. Some people said, you should go, and I'm going to paraphrase a bit here. You should go and invest a bunch of your time building software so that we can choose when we would like to know about this or not, so that if our data appears out there but it's been scraped as opposed to breached, then we don't hear about it and other people are just abusing it without our knowledge. Um, They don't normally say that bit, but that's effectively what it means. So no, I'm not going to go and build features for people to be able to sort of self-assess what they want to be emailed about when they probably get less than one email per year from Have I Been Pwned Anyway. I know that for sure because I've got the stats. <laughs> but there was discussion about is it a breach or not. And I, I just, I, I, f- I felt this was the wrong discussion to be having and I felt it was the wrong term to be using. Now, I don't have a problem with the term scrape insofar as it is someone making requests to a resource on a service, taking the response of that and using it outside the context in which it's meant to be used. Uh, I, I don't think legitimately calling an API, which is designed to, let's say you go and use the Have I Been Pwned API and you go and make requests to that, that's that's not scraping. That is literally just consumption of a service which has been provisioned to do exactly what you're doing. If someone was going through and literally incrementing a number and pulling back data, which wasn't meant to be in that fashion or accessible in that fashion, well, then yeah, that's, that's a scrape. So do we classify the scrape as a breach? Now, one thing I didn't put in this blog post is I feel that... There are perverse incentives for not calling it a breach, and, and what I mean by that is, can you imagine lawyers? You know, lawyers would be like, "Oh shit, don't call it a breach." If they call it a breach, we've got to do mandatory disclosure. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to get lawyers. We've got to do identity theft protection. All this other crap. But If it's a scrape, not so bad. Again, I think it's a perverse incentive because it's a very self-interest um, in, in incentive. Like it's, I, and I'm not saying this is what happened at Gravatar or LinkedIn or Facebook, or Clubhouse was also in this boat earlier this year. But I've seen enough lawyers in companies responding to incidents like this to know to know whose ass they're trying to cover. So I think that's a perverse incentive. But if we look at it from our perspective, and the perspective of, and every time I run like a poll on this, I get like an 80% response rate where people are like, you know, yeah, I want to know about this. Their view is that this is data which was obtained Without my informed consent, insofar as I didn't expect it to be used in this way, it was obtained in a way that the service provider didn't expect it to be used because this, <laughs> the Gravatar literally changed their implementation after this. Now, if they expected it to be used this way, they wouldn't have changed anything. They would have gone, all right, well, basically the system's doing what it's meant to do. No, it wasn't meant to do this. So they changed it. Facebook changed it. Interesting side note, after I published this blog post last night, and in fact, I've now put an edit in there to this effect because I think it's so important. Someone sent me a link and went, did, did you know that Meta, as in Facebook's parent company, did you know that Meta is now offering bug bounties if you find scraping vectors? So it's like, yeah, SSRF, SQL injection, cross-site scripting, scraping. <laughs> you know, like, I imagine you don't get quite as much money for a scraping vector as what you did for like full-on SQL injection and total pwnage. But isn't it interesting that it is serious enough that it sits up there alongside the other very unequivocally definable hacking vectors. I think one of the things that's perhaps most important here, if if we kind of take a step back and go, okay, well, you know, what are we ultimately talking about? Uh, We're talking about treating this seriously enough that, for example, you let people know. I would have liked to have known from Gravatar that my data was accessed inappropriately. I've got a bit in here, and in fact, the hero image I used is a a post on a hacking forum where people are exchanging this data. They were selling this data, swapping this data, providing this data for other people to misuse. Multiple posts on this forum, and in fact, someone here is commenting and they've got uh, they've got a handle of email miner. Now, I made a bit of a joke in here. I was like, you know, why do you think it's on this hacking forum? Do you think it's for people to you know, send everybody Christmas cards? <laughs> no, it's, it's not for Christmas cards. When your handle is email miner, it's not for Christmas cards. This person says, Hello, would you sell records of a specific country only? PM me if so. And again, getting back to the context, I wanna know. I wanna know if someone is selling my data to email minor. Now, Gravatar knows this, absolutely knows this. There's no way they wouldn't have been able to find this information. I don't link to it, but any of you can find this information very, very easily. So regardless of whether you call it a breach or a scrape or a data incident, I air-quoted that for people listening, <laughs> a data incident, if it's impacting people in this fashion, well, my view is people should know. And I don't think that watering it down by trying to say it's not a breach is is a reasonable, sensible, privacy-first approach. I have proposed an alternate definition of breach here, and I kept this deliberately very, very simple. This is my definition. I'm going to run with this. In future scraping incidents, a data breach occurs when information is obtained by an unauthorized party in a fashion in which it was not intended to be made available. And that's really what's happened here. Now whether it's, I started out by giving an example of when one of my Pfizer colleagues had a laptop stolen out of a car, that was a data breach. Information of time by other people in a way in which it's not intended to be available. When I was in the Australian Red Cross Blood Service data breach, uh, someone had literally, a, a vendor of the company, had published their database publicly facing to a staging site and someone just downloaded it. That's a data breach. My data was not intended to be made available in that fashion. And Gravatar, as far as I'm concerned, is a data breach. My data was not intended to be provided in that fashion. It was obtained by parties who are not authorized to access it in that fashion. And then it was sold and monetized to my detriment, as well as the detriment of 114 million other people. All right, let me read the comments. So he's going to argue with me on that one Um, or comment on anything else. Everyone finds the idea of governments unifying experiences to be a f- bit of a funny thing. Um, hmm. A bit of love, for, uh, uh, alien, which is good. Amplify alien. Brendan says you can uh, flick a little switch in settings to put your icons at the bottom left of your screen. I know I can do that with Windows Eleven, but I kind of feel like I should drink the Kool Aid a bit, you know, like just there is whether it's. Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, like any of the big ones, and a lot of the ones that aren't quite as big, there are people whose entire livelihoods, teams whose entire livelihoods are to figure out how to make user experiences the best possible thing. Now, I'm not saying that it's necessarily the best possible thing for me personally by having stuff in the middle, but I'm saying that there would have been an enormous amount of research and evidence-based Fact checking and things gone into doing this, and I would like—I just want to give it a go. I just want to give it a go and go. Does it make sense? My preliminary feeling is it actually works well for me because I've got the two wide screens on the side and then the ultra-wide in the middle. So I've got like this big control panel here, and to have everything right in front of me, I I actually quite like. I used to have them all over there, and now they're right here, right in front of me, and I actually quite like that. So I'm going to give it a go. And I want to do a bit of reading as to why Microsoft has made the decision because there there is a reason for it. Uh, Brennan says, yeah, Microsoft trying to shove edge down your throat. I I do think that they're way too pushy on that. I say that as a Microsoft regional director who doesn't have a region and doesn't direct anything and doesn't work for Microsoft, but I think they're too pushy on that. I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty universal view. Um ah brendan says uh unrelated it's meant to hit a top of 28 in his area today we really have had very few 30 degree days yet i think it's because of the sort of the la nina cycle is that the wet one where we have a lot of rain um but it's, it's actually been a lot cooler than, than usual for us but uh i'm hoping it warms up i'm hoping on sunday to do an epic 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 jet ski ride uh where we would go from here up to Tangaluma, which is about, I've done it before, it's about 140 kilometers away. and it's just absolutely amazing. I did it, I did it three and a bit years ago with Ari, and then Charlotte and I will do it. I think we might do it on Sunday because it's looking really nice then. Photos incoming. Ben says the term scraping could also apply to automated capturing of data obtained in ways that are intended i linkedin and github is there any legitimate use of scraping using the definition that we know of for leave a comment because i'm kind of curious what you mean by that ben because certainly we've had issues with linkedin being scraped i literally added a linkedin scrape in have i been pwned earlier this year there is also one from a service called GeekedIn, and Geeked In. this was several years ago now, scraped a whole bunch of GitHub data to try and do recruitment from it. But I think what you're saying here is those services are using scraping to pull data from somewhere else. I'm just curious to hear what you mean by that. You have then said, but when combined with unintended use of the system, I think it also becomes a breach. Fair enough uh stratus says by the way troy your old seven-year-old video of you trolling a virus scammer on phone came up my recommended watch list i watched it and loved it is that the one that's like an hour and 20 minutes long that's i'll tell you what stratus if you watched all of that you did very very well uh, that video or no, it might be newer because i think the one in 2012 was that long uh over a million views on that one which is my most popular video ever by a long way heidi's dropping to say hi g'day heidi uh andrew windows 11 i wish i could have the normal label system taskbar i feel that a lot of the negativity i hear about windows 11 is a is very similar to other operating systems and it boils down to who moved my cheese and if you're not familiar with the term who moved my cheese it is people's inability to adjust to change uh, and there's a book called who moved my cheese and it's it's about mice and cheese they made us read it at Pfizer when we went through an acquisition because they're like things are changing your cheese is going to move you need to read the book anyway but it does feel a little bit like a reaction to something that is changing from an established norm as opposed to a reaction because something is necessarily empirically any worse Question here, any insights why banks still exist on SMS 2FA or verification? SMS is the least secure method node to man, surely. All right, yes, I do have insights. Now, first of all, everyone knows if you have a username and password, you have one factor, which is just something that you know. Any implementation of two factor, and we're going to use the terms interchangeably here two factor, two step, uh, multi factor, multi step, it's like a username, and password, and something else any implementation of a username and password and something else is better than just a username and password. The number of times I've heard someone say having two FA with SMS is worse than having one FA. They literally can't do math. Like one plus a positive integer or, or, or a positive decimal, a positive anything is greater than one. <laughs> so you've always got to have the username and password and something else. And then the argument simply comes down to how strong is that something else? So what are the problems with SMS? There's Two major problems. One is that you get your SIM hijacked. So if someone can get into your, let's say get into your phone carrier, social engineer your phone carrier, grab access to your SIM. And incidentally, one of the problems we've got, and I've literally spoken to telcos about this, is that I'm saying to them, why don't you make it harder for people to, uh, Port someone's phone number to your provider or from your provider and they're like well the government told us because of monopolies and things we have to make it easy for people to switch providers so we have to lower the barrier entry because anti-competitiveness which then makes it easier for people to go and port your sim somewhere else anyway it's the same thing the other thing is it can be fished, so you as, as a bad person could go and stand up a phishing page, say enter the username and password. You get the username and password from the victim. You send those to the target service. The target service then sends an SMS to the victim because the credentials check out. And then your phishing page just simply says, okay, now enter the token. That's a problem with SMS. It's a problem with soft tokens and it's a problem with hard tokens that aren't U2F. So if you have the old RSA sort of keys with the numbers on them. So really, when we talk about the difference between soft tokens and SMS, the fundamental difference is the hijacking of the SIM. If someone is being targeted, that's something I'd be much more worried about than if we're just talking about credential stuffing. So credential stuffing, we're talking about potentially billions of credential pairs. I've certainly seen billions of credential pairs uh, that are plain text uh, email addresses and passwords, and they're used by people to try and authenticate to a service. A very significant number of those are going to get hits. Now the only way you're going to get into accounts that have 2FA even with SMS is that you've now got to go through and either socially engineer people, say via phishing attack to get that token, or you've got to go and hijack the SIM, which also has a barrier to entry which is significantly larger than just literally entering a username and a password into an HTTP request. So why do banks provide it? They provide it because it works for everyone. My mum and dad. If my mum and dad go to log on to their bank and they're like, we've sent you a text message, please enter it. They know how to do text messages. They're good with text messages. If the bank said, please open your soft token and enter the code, and mum and dad have recently replaced their phone and they didn't back up their soft tokens and they didn't migrate them over to the new device, they're screwed. And then the problem you've got it's going off on a big tangent, but it's an important topic. Then the problem you've got is that you're literally going back to the bank or Dropbox or Twitter or whoever it is you turn the 2FA on with and you've said, you know how I turned on 2FA back at the time when we verified it was me and I said, hey, if you have my username and password but you don't have my token, don't let me in. Well, now I have my username and my token but I don't have or my username and my password but I don't have my token, can you please let me in? And then you have to fall back to manual verification processes. So all of these implementations of 2FA have problems in one form or another. I love U2F. I've got a U2F token there. I won't say where it is in case someone breaks into my house. Over there. Uh, <laughs> I love U2F, but there is a commercial barrier to entry. You've literally got to go and buy YubiKeys. You've then got to have it with your person. If you're out and about and you've left your U2F token at home, then you've got a problem. So, I hope that answers your question. Uh, P- Pi probably mispronounce that, but you get the idea. Lee, unrelated, Unify AC Mesh for wireless, Wi-Fi extension home situation. Yes, no, Unify AC Mesh for wireless. Uh, yes, I'd say yes. So if you're going to do mesh network over wireless, that still works very good. I did a blog post called uh, Friends Don't Let Friends Use Bad Wi-Fi where Ubiquity had sent me a Unified Dream machine. There's the one you put at home. It looks like a little rocket ship and it had one of the uh, flex hd units in fact i've got one of those on my roof now (laughs) facing the road which which is what my door uh, doorbell connects to and and i'd put that in uh, my mate raf's home he's the guy i set up one password for the other day and that wirelessly uplinks and it works beautifully of course ideal world you do a wired backhaul so say for that unit where is it on my desk just here perfect world what we would do is we would hardwire from the unit which is going to plug into the uh, nbn modem we'd hardwire that through to the satellite unit but this is going to go into a multi-story house spread out across a large space they don't have a wide backhaul it's just not going to work but they do wirelessly uplink much more efficiently than what your mobile phone for example could sitting in the same space as the satellite unit so it is, it is a yes, definite yes. And of course you can chain them too. So you can, let's say you had a really, really long house and your inbound connection is at one very end and then you can put one here and then that can wirelessly link to there and another one there and that wirelessly links to there. So that's the, the joy of mesh. I was waiting for another top 10 pharmaceutical company at the same time. Thankfully we had hard disk encryption. Uh, Yeah, we had hard disk encryption too. And in fact, the the blog post um, that I wrote about scraping in that first paragraph, I talk about Pfizer, it it links to the submission they made to the attorney general where they say, yeah, it had disk encryption. And then everyone gets to sit there and speculate about whether someone managed to break through the disk encryption, which of course, if you do it right, is extraordinarily unlikely. But particularly when you're talking about a healthcare company and patient data, it's like you've basically just got to go look there is no evidence of abuse, uh, and there is no evidence of not abuse. You know what I mean? And then you get back to uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. <laughs> so we we don't have anything to suggest that bad stuff happened, but we also can't prove that no bad stuff happened. Encrypted discs. Andrew says, how much fuel are you taking for that? This would be an epic jet ski ride. So what I did last time is I had three 20-litre jerry cans uh i bought some new ones recently some that just fit the jet ski a bit better so i'll take that so there's 60 liters it takes 60 liters as well and then there is a spot on uh i think it's on morton island or maybe at the end of north stradbroke island where there's literally a service station and i just i just like walk up the road (laughs) carrying the jerry cans that sounds like a lot of fuel and it is it's a 300 horsepower supercharged jet ski which doesn't help but even if you're just cruising along, like it, it does, it does burn the fuel rather quickly. But uh, yeah, fortunately there there are there are places to stop and, and refill, just not not on the harbour, not without going over like Redland Bay or something in Brisbane. First world problems. Benz is there's a difference between someone scraping data that is obtained through normal use of the service, but automated. But see, it's, it, it's not really, Ben, and, and this is, this is what Gravatar came to. So that, that API on Gravatar uh, is made to be used by people. Uh, it is used in normal use. The, the thing that fundamentally changes is, is quite different for me to, like, load up someone's Gravatar profile here in my browser. That is very different to you going, I'm going to write a script to, like, mass enumerate this and pull down 160 million records. Uh, and this is why Meta's got that bug bounty now, because they're literally saying, look, there's a there's obviously by design within services like Facebook, a whole bunch of information that's intended to be publicly consumable. But we want the public to consume it in this particular way. The, the public wants to consume in that particular way. People want to post things on Facebook. They don't want Cambridge Analytica <laughs> to go through and mass scrape the data and then turn it into a monetizable product at the expense of the end user. And this is a really interesting challenge, right? It's like, how do you achieve those two objectives? How do we make this data available so that it's publicly accessible, but only in the right way, and it's still publicly accessible in the wrong way, but we stop the wrong way from happening? So you uh, you can see the challenge there. What else is here? Um, oh, Stratus. So yes, Stratus is talking about Richard. Uh, so in the in the scammer call, that is the one I was thinking about. I do remember Richard. Um, fun times. <laughs> fun times. Uh, ben loves his YubiKey. I love my my YubiKeys. I, I think they're they're great. And also, I think part of the solution to 2FA is what is what is a low-friction way of making it available. Now I'll give you I'll give you two examples. I have it on my Facebook account. Incidentally, I got a thing on Facebook the other day that I think means I'm important. (laughs) But no one else can tell me that. I got a thing. I screen capped at the time and I I didn't post it. Um, Here you go. You have 15 days left to turn on Facebook Protect. Troy, your account has the potential to reach a lot of people. So it requires a stronger security. Sorry, no, not A. That was my fault. So it requires stronger security. Facebook Protect, an advanced security program, helps defend accounts like yours. Turn on Facebook Protect before 30 December 2021. After that, you'll be locked out of your Facebook account until you turn it on. Sounds super fishy. It was literally in the Facebook app as soon as I popped it up. I clicked on turn on now and they went, yep, fine, it's on. Because I already had 2FA and obviously a strong password and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, my point was, I can't remember the last time I actually had to use either of my factors on Facebook because I stay signed in on the PC and I stay signed in on my devices. So from a friction perspective, I like the ability for the appropriate services to have long-running multi-factor authentication sessions. For something like the bank, less so. But then, and here's the thing some people will be upset about, but I like the idea and I've started doing this more and more now, of having your second factor code in 1Password. Now, people get upset for this very simple reason, and it's, 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 it's good logic which sort of falls apart very quickly. And the logic is, the, the logic of being upset, is that if you have both your user and password in 1Password and you also have your second factor code generator, then everything is in the one place. Where the logic falls apart is it's like... Yes, it is, but it's all on here already. Anyway, I've been using Authy for years. So I've got 1Password and Authy here. So in a way, it's no longer 2FA. It is literally like something you have because if you have the device and it's got to be open and unauthenticated, but then you might have that anyway because you've looked over someone's shoulder and seen the pin or whatever else it may be, except 1Password automatically locks very, very quickly. And then you've got to have your master password or you've got to have, you know, Face ID. So you, you can see the trade-off, I see the argument they're making, but then when you look at the friction it introduces, not just at the point of authentication, which is much easier when you can just autofill from one password, but then to my example of my parents, if they don't go through the process of migrating their soft tokens, then they get locked out. But if they have it all in their password manager and it's synced across their devices, well then they don't get locked out all of these things become like a balance, right? And it's, it's not the right, there's not one right answer for everyone. Everyone's got to find what is their own balance. But I think particularly when we're talking about trying to bring people into stronger authentication schemes and using multi-step, multi-factor, whatever, uh, lowering the barrier to entry is far more valuable than the utopian implementation of separating things across devices. All right. No soft token, no online banking. Make it a regulation. Perhaps I'm harsh. Yes, you're harsh. Uh, the, the other thing to consider with banking, and I wrote a blog post some time ago, which I've shared a couple of times just in the last few days. I wrote one about uh, banks and arbitrary password requirements because I had people pointing me to things like I think someone pointed me at Westpac, one of our Aussie banks, and they said, "Hey, look at, uh, hey Troy, look at how stupid their requirements are. They won't let me use you know non alphanumeric numeric characters, for example, in my password." And, and that's a very bad look, isn't it? It's a very bad look to say you can't have, let's say, an angle bracket because we know what happens with angle brackets. You can't have an angle bracket or an apostrophe in your password. However, the whole point of that blog post was if you think that the only thing a bank does to authenticate people is looks at your username and password and make sure they match, you are missing a big, big part of the story. And I remember sitting with the CISO of one of our big for Aussie Banks when I was doing some talks for the company and having this exact discussion. And he was kind of laughing because he's like, there's so much more stuff going on the background. Now, is that a good reason not to have 2FA? Uh, I don't think so. I would like to have 2FA. At the very least, every time you set up the banking app on your device or something like that. But it's not as simple as just having username and password. Lee says, all I need to know, I've got a UDM, but backyard Wi-Fi coverage is average, and it's too hard to get a fish tank, Uh, sorry, what did I say fish tank? It's too hard to get a hard link out there. So Wi-Fi mesh it is, thanks. Yeah, look, give it a go. The Wi-Fi mesh is certainly better than not having it. It's just not as good as if you did have a hardwired link. The other thing I suggest you do, Lee, is have a look at some of the stuff that Lars Clint has written. As I mentioned earlier, he is on a farm. It's very large. I know he's doing some much longer distance uh, wireless uplinks as well. So he's like me. He has friends at Ubiquity. (laughs) So he's managed to put a bunch of stuff in, and he's shared a lot of that online too. So check out Lars' material. He's done a lot of videos too. Andrew, I've got an RXT 300. I know the pain. Yep, exactly what I've got too. (laughs) So so there we go. The pain's not the word I'd use. I think that the pleasure, you know the pleasure. I still don't know how that thing's legal anyway. Ben says, new favorite browsers, DuckDuckGo for the burn feature. A lot of people, uh, new favorite browser, DuckDuckGo for the burn feature. Okay, a lot of people seem to be happy with that. Um, Josh says, I've got my non-high-value 2FA and 1Password. Everything else value, I still keep separation just in case. Uh, Look, um, one of my, I won't say which one it is, but some of my most high-value things, I'm just saying, look, you, you just must have the U2F key. Uh, but what that means is is that if I'm out, out and about on holidays and I need to get access and I don't have the U2F key with me, I, I literally can't get in. So you have to choose the right things. Sean says, when are we finally going to see the end of security questions? Anecdotally, I think we see them a lot less. I don't have the numbers, the empirical evidence, but I can't remember the last time I have actually had to use... A security question somewhere there look there are certainly times i, I still get asked for my birth date i'm just uh whatever no <laughs> G- give it to us. it's probably in data breaches anyway but uh i feel like we've reduced that andrew says uh there's jessica again it's paying at the cash register of the pump uh yeah it is but it's not as bad as filling out the boat first world problems <laughs> on, on that note i'm going to leave it there next week uh, as i said i will be coming from somewhere totally totally epic and awesome and i'm going to uh make particularly i really need to be doing this i think i will do it later in the day it's the morning here in australia uh, because later in the day is when the english people are up and it's obviously a lot more miserable there at, at any time of the year but especially now when it's cold and this is going to be a, just wait to see it So I'm going to do it later in the day, (laughs) just for fun. See you, folks. Have a good weekend.